Welcome to episode 25 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Hey guys, welcome along to Iron Man Talk episode 25, which is pretty close to the half year with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. How are you going, John? Very good. Live from Queenstown. Live from Queenstown. Now, you may be one. John sounds a little bit funny because he's on the Skype connection today. He's in Queenstown in the middle of the South Island while I'm still in Iron Man Talk Studios. Uh, how are you feeling, mate? I'm pretty good. I'm uh, practicing what I preach this week. I'm taking the week uh, really easy. It's around about... I don't know, 16, 17 weeks out from my race, so it's often what I tell athletes to do is, uh, is have a really chill-out week about then, so I'm sort of practicing that and had a day skiing and looking at having a game of golf tomorrow and uh, just toodling along. Oh, it's a hard life, eh? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, this week's show, we've got our news, we've got um, a little bit of a talk about our big ride over the weekend, uh, we've got the results from last weekend, plus the race is coming up this weekend. Uh, Jürgen Zach. I uh, got a two-year ban, so we have a bit of a talk about that. You got the name right, mate. <laughs> I know. Look, I've been for hours before the show. Um, we'll have a talk about our hot topic for the week, uh, about the drafting debate. And we've got some good insight on that, actually, on the discussion forum. Um, age gripper of the week. High five, or was a high five? We're going to go through, uh, because it's coming <laughs> to the end of the season, and some people have some cold Ironman races, we're going to go through just a couple of tips on... Uh, on how to make your day a little more comfortable if it's a cold day for Ironman. There you go, cold day Ironman. Um, we've got website of the week, and we're flagging Coach's Corner this week because we've got quite a few questions and answers. So, let's get into it, eh? Let's get the show on the road. How did you find the ride, Bevan? Well, we, we did 200, 244.9 kilometres on day one, and we did 257 point something or other kilometres on day two. So, Long yeah. Way. And, and we had a terrible, terribly strong winds both pretty much both days, didn't we? Yeah, we, we got a real mixed bag. I mean, uh, we, we had some, some great tailwinds at, at, at times, and then we had some absolutely horrendous weather at times. I mean, give people an example. At one stage, we uh, only managed to cover 32 kilometres in an hour and a half of riding, uh, and we were probably, it was probably the hardest hour and a half of the whole trip. We were just going into a headwind. Sitting at you know below 20 kilometres an hour, and you know we've both both, both been to Hawaii, and the, the sorts of winds we were getting were sort of Hawaii standard winds, and uh, I certainly had a few doubts going through my mind at certain parts of the ride on, on why we were doing it when those winds were absolutely lashing us. Yeah, um, it was my first really really big ride, especially back to back, and. Uh I was actually surprised how well I did. I thought I'd find it a little bit tough. Like, it was definitely tough, and mentally at times I struggled. Um, but both days I knew I'd still be able to get through it. The first, second day I found the first couple of hours a little bit hard. Just getting, you know, the legs back into the rhythm again, and the wind was pretty strong for those first couple of hours. So that was a little bit tough. I had some biker shoes on the second day. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, on the second day, Bevan decided to drop the hammer from, uh, <laughs> from, the, from the motel we left, drop the hammer on the first ride, dropped me, and then every couple of minutes I'd have to yell out, tell him to slow down, because he was just killing me. But uh, yeah, we, we did have a few bike issues towards the, 
end of day two, and uh, I managed to finish the day in daylight, and it was getting a bit dark when Bevan finished. <laughs> he left me behind. <laughs> he was a love, you know. <laughs> you know, support, yeah. It wasn't quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't quite like that. But anyway, um, so, you know, it was a really good experience, and if anything, it just really encouraged me to do more of that kind of stuff, and it's just nice to know that I, I can do that, and... Uh, and you know that the focus is really just about doing it than really being too aggressive. So yeah, it was a good experience for me. And uh, but I think the key that um, that you you found and that was sort of reiterated to me was uh, the importance of nutrition when you're doing this big training. Yeah. Uh, both both of us ate really well. Um, yeah, we let our nutrition go a little bit towards the end of each day, um, but we started early. You know, every hour we were making sure we were eating something, and that's probably a problem. The first time I did this real big big mileage training, um, didn't quite get eating right, and the first day was very, very difficult because of that. So I think um, uh, it'd be well worth people taking that advice. If you are ever going on any sort of big, big bike training, um, really focus on getting that uh, fluid and nutrition in really early in the ride and just keep keep on forcing it in. And as soon as we were finishing our days, we were really forcing the food in as well. So yeah. I think that's why we both of us didn't necessarily find it that tough except for the headwinds at times. You know, I totally agree because normally when I train I'm probably guilty of not eating enough and this, this will be an interesting discussion in next week's show when we have uh, Emily the nutritionist on um, and I really, yeah, I just ate so much food on the ride and re- you just really felt the difference. Eh? So yeah, it's a good point. Anyway, uh, yeah. this week up in racing, so we had, what did we have? We had Esprit Triathlon which was in Montreal, Ironman Distance. Yeah, I had a quick look there, and I couldn't happen to see the results there, so they may be up there in the next few days. But there was an Ironman distance race in Montreal. Yeah. Um, one that I did find, um, which we talked about last week, was the uh, the Grand Colombian. Yep. And uh looked like a pretty pretty long day at the office for most of the people there. Uh, Tim Hawkins took the race out. Uh, he was the only man to go under 10 hours. He did 9 hours 53, and he actually ended up winning by 40 minutes. Second place was 10 hours 33 and third was 10 hours 34, so pretty close between second and third, but a pretty so easy it, victory there. So maybe uh, was, it like, Hawkins, was it like a weak field, or was it just that it's a hard course? Or do we not really know? Uh, I'm not sure. I've, I've never been to that one before. It looks like a long swim. Uh, I can hardly see any, well, very few people that went under one hour. I can see somebody who swam one hour flat, and he was eighth out of the water. Yeah. So um, the pretty slow times in the swim. And it's, it's not a high-profile race. I don't know if there's any uh, any prize money there, um, but it's great that these races are out there, especially because, you know, it is so hard to get into the races. So yeah, Tim Hawkins first, Ron Coombs in second, and Hans Schleck was in third. Schleck. Um, and in the female side of it, the first was Hallie Hayley. Truswell. Yep. Hayley. Oh, well done. You can put yeah. me up there. Gotcha. And uh, second place was Denise Howland. And who did we have in third? Way down, is it? Way down, is it? Way down, there we go. Uh, Tatiana Michelle. They all seem to be from uh, Seattle. So she was in the 40-44 age group, finishing in third place. Pretty solid. Yeah, it's very good effort, So, yeah, it? that was the, uh, the, the Grand Columbian. The Grand Columbian. Okay, and what else did we have? We had the cocaine... Was Cancun. It? Cancun. And the Cancun 70.3. Uh, oh, so it's a pretty to... interesting racing there. We had old uh, Kieran Doe. He seems to be doing a lot of these 70.3 races. Good Kiwi fella. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, I think at the last one, he had some problems in Monaco. Uh, sort of blew up just at the end of the run. 
is back in action this time again at Cancun, really uh, sort of playing haven for the Americans. Love going down there. They've, it's a big place for triathlon. They've had the world champs there at least once, and they generally have a World Cup race. Uh, so he took it out in the swim, uh, but obviously, unfortunately got passed by old Simon Lessing. Mm. Uh, but did manage, manage to hang on for second place, but but quite a distant uh, second place. It was three hours 54 for Simon Lessing. Karen Doe was a long way back in second, four hours and eight minutes. And then uh, Peter Claude was third in four hours 12. And he's also a Kiwi, but I'm not quite sure if he's still racing for New Zealand or, or whether he's got American citizenship. Um, so good Kiwis getting second and third there. Mm. And McKaylee Jones took it out pretty comfortably on the, the girls' side of things from uh, Natasha Filoli and, uh, and somebody Tingle. <laughs> <laughs> the Tingle. <laughs> she had a Tingle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, cool. What other race did we have? We had US Long Course Champs. US Long Course Champs. I've got the results somewhere here. Maybe I haven't. Wait a second, I, I think have. I have. <laughs> I've got them here now. It, um, it didn't look like uh, there was any sort of stellar pros there. Um, we had Patrick Ivoli from Austin, Texas in first place. Pretty comfortable win, four hours, four minutes. Tim Holler in second in four hours, ten minutes. And Ted Zurdek in third place in four hours, seventeen. On the girls' side of it, uh, do you want to do the first girl, do you? Oh, Elizabeth, how do you say this one? Fidoski? Fidoski? Fidoski. Yeah, yep. he took it out, 4 hours 40, she was uh, actually quite high up in 22nd overall. And then we had Laura, and Sophia, is it second? Yeah? Yeah, Laura, Sophia, and then Kristen and Moore in third place in 4 hours 52. So, so what distance were they doing? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a half Ironman, it's a UK, US half Ironman champs. But oh, okay. Uh, you know, it'd be, be surprising if they had any prize money there because uh, it doesn't look like any of the big big pros turned out. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from the Americans to see if that race does hold a lot of prestige or whether they really just view it as another half Ironman. Mm. Well, it must be just, yeah, a small event for the pros at least. Okay, so then this weekend we've got, we got Redman Half and Full. Yeah, redmantriathlon.com. Uh, so it's worth a look. And we've also got in the UK uh, the New Forest Half Ironman, so I'm sure a few, are f- sure a few of our Tri-Talk listeners will be out there in the New Forest doing that race. And uh, there's not too much else on. There's quite a few Half Ironmans, but as we've sort of discussed over the last few weeks, that um, yeah, we're a bit dry on the old Ironmans now until Kona, which is still you know a good uh, good month away. Yeah, it's a quiet time of the year. Eh? What are we going to talk about for the next month? <laughs> Um, we will find something. Oh, I can talk. Don't worry about that. So, um, so also, uh, Ergen Zach. So he got two years. He got yeah, banned for two yeah. years. Yeah. We, we took, it must have been um, at least a month or so ago, or maybe even longer, that we talked about this. And, you know, firstly, we were announcing that Jürgen Zach had, had retired from the sport. And then the next week, we were announcing that he had uh, been tested positive for drugs. And uh, it looks like he has been, been given a two-year ban. And uh, it's all over Rover for him. So, you know, it's a, it's a sad way to go out. And, um, you know, obviously they've gone through their sort of due diligence and uh, he has been found guilty, which is, uh, you know, obviously if, he, if he's done it, it's a real shame. And uh, Jürgen Zach's got a two-year ban and, and I don't think he'll be back after that. I think that'll be the end of his uh, triathlon career. And um, Well, he had retired, hadn't he? Yeah, but maybe that was the, maybe that was the reason. But, uh, you know, he's had a fantastic career and... Uh, 
he was hoping that um, most of that career was done drug free. Well, he's claiming there was contaminated supplements, which yeah, it's hard to know. But one thing that we talked about a while ago with Ergen Zach is that um, that he was a real big pusher of drug testing, and that he was, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if he still wants to keep that role, or if he still, you know, like <laughs> he probably has to if he's going to stick to his denying his allegations. Mm. So who knows what's going to happen? Watch there. that so, space, eh? Watch that one. Watch that one. Okay then. So uh, yeah, so that was pretty much it. So we had our hot topic for the week, and uh, it was what do we think the Ironman gap should be? And it was it was quite funny if you went onto the blog uh, on our blog at ironmantalk.com, and uh, if, if basically we had a few people here: uh, Fegan, uh, Matt, and uh, Ray. Basically saying that the 10 metre rule was pretty much it. It was, especially for the pros, a little bit harder for the age groupers because sometimes in races it just gets so full on and it's it's pretty hard not to get away from it. Um, and, <laughs> and then they started talking about penalties and it got a bit harsh on it, to be honest. They were <laughs> you go on there and read it. There was some interesting reading in there, I tell you. But, um, but then... Uh, there's a few things that... Then basically people were starting to talk about more about the fact that um, it's really hard for age groupers to not have maintain that gap because it's just so busy now in races, especially in races like Ben was saying here in races where you do two or three laps. It's just near on impossible not to cheat. Um, so yeah, that was a really good point. But then uh, Tony Toby Head, you know, he had a really good point because he's actually been a triathlete, and then he's actually been a draft buster for a while, and now he's actually gone back to being a triathlete again. And uh, what he said, he said. Uh, Da, 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 da. He said, that said, I've tried to become a draft buster again and made it ne- the, basically he's saying that the UK Triathlon Association made it really impossible for them to actually do the job as well. And um, yeah, he was saying that when he was watching the London Triathlon this year, there was a group of 20, 30 riders that went straight past two marshals and the marshals did nothing and they were clearly drafting. So he kind of really, at the end of the day, he put it down to individual responsibility. He said, this is still an individual sport. Don't get me started on legal draft issues, but uh, we should actually show a little bit of respect and stop cheating ourselves, which I suppose for age groupers, that's just the way you've got to treat it, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think um, each time we sort of do these topics, I think it comes out as there's one clear theme coming through is that People just want consistency, you know. That's a problem. The races at the moment, you know, you go to one race and the, the rule will be five metres. You go to the next race, it'll be seven metres. You go to the next race, it'll be ten metres. Mm. Um, so, so I don't think anybody in Ironman really wants drafting. Um, but I think, again, and what we talked about with the, the sort of the pro versus age group thing, people just want probably want a rule and say this is a rule and that's it. And this applies to all, you know, WTC races. And it'd be great if ITU could come up with their rule and say, this is the rule, and it applies to all these races. Um, and I think that'd be great. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I think 10 metres is fantastic. Um, I probably think 7 metres is a bit more realistic, and I still think um, you, you're getting, a, uh, obviously, a, a little bit of a less draft there. I think in Hawaii, when they brought it down to 5 metres, I don't think that was really acceptable. No. Um, but no. I think it's also down to the race. You know the race organisers. If you if you have a pancake flat race, um, and you start two thousand people together, you're going to have awful problems in drafting. And also, if you have a multi lap course, you're going to have awful lap problems in drafting. And it's not because people are trying to cheat. It's just simply there is no room on the road to get by. And unless you completely, you know, sabotage your own race and just drop way off and keep dropping off anybody who comes past, it's very very difficult to police. So. I think um, course directors, um, if they you know put a few hills in their course 
surfaces. Um, that always helps to, to break up the, the drafting a little bit. Smaller fields would be fantastic, but, you know, there's so many people wanting to do the sport, so that's often not going to be realistic. Yeah. But one thing that did come up on some of the topics, uh, the discussion was um, having separate wave starts, and I think that's a good idea. The obvious downside to that is that a lot of people really want to race head-to-head, and if they um, take that away, then uh, if they have wave starts, then you don't quite have that. But Yeah, someone sent us an email through about that. I think yeah. the, the problem with the wave start is that, it, you know, like little things like coming over the finish line, not quite sure where you finished and time-wise. I don't know most of us will carry a watch, but, you know, running up that yeah. finishing shoot, seeing your finishing time, I know for me is really quite a satisfying feeling. And uh, if you're running yeah, up yeah. the finish shoot and you didn't see your time, you know, it's... Uh... I think um, one race that they're probably going to have real problems with this year is the, um, the Florida World 70.3 champ. Um, because I know that's a, a very, very flat course and the athletes will be of closer ability because you, you have to qualify for the race mm. and it'll be that little bit higher standard and I think they're going to have major, major problems with uh, policing the non-drafting there. It's, uh, you know, when people are on edge and it's a, it's a high-profile race and they're, they're really going to win their age group, then uh, you, you don't want to give a quarter and... and, and and while you don't, most people don't really go out there to try and suck people's wheels. It's very, very difficult to avoid it. So, it was interesting. I was with a good consistent ruling. Um, I think that's what people will be looking for. I was on um, one of the triathlon forums today. I think it was, and uh, I was talking about some race in the UK. Maybe actually been on a TriTalk, and they were talking about a race in the UK over the weekend where they actually took away the winner's prize money and took um, his placing off him because he got busted for drafting. So, you know, they had some pretty good balls to do that in that race. Mm, interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. Because I think what's happening in this situation is that drafting's if you get busted, it's really unlucky because it's really they're just doing token drafting, you know, token mm. bloody penalising because it's, um, you know, it's like in like in Canada, we got an email from someone, we'll mention it later on, they were saying that, you know, it's just near on impossible not to draft. And uh, so if you're getting busted, you know, basically most people in the race are, at some stage are going to do some drafting. You know, if you're getting busted, you're just basically unlucky, really. Mm. So, mm. so yeah, thanks for all your feedback on that one. So what was our discussion we wanted to go for this week? What, uh, what well, should be the penalties? Drafting a bit here, but what should the penalties be? Um, so that would be interesting because, you know, again, that varies so much from race to race. Some races you go to and you'll get the penalty there and then on the road. And you've got to stand there for, you know, two minutes or four minutes or 20 seconds. Yep. Other races, you get um, the time just put onto your time at the end of the race. So you just keep on going and... Uh, and you get a time there. Other races like Hawaii, you have to spend time in the penalty box. So we'd be interested to hear what people uh, people think about that, whether they, um, you should maybe get a small penalty and then get really hammered if you get busted again or disqualified, or whether you think there should be a really heavy penalty for your first um, infringement, and whether that may uh, discourage people from drafting or not. Mm, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what you guys put on there. Um, so yeah, so go onto our website www.imantalk.com and click on the link to the blog page. And uh, just if you can't see where you comment, just underneath where I write a topic heading and a little bit of about the topic, um, there's a word comment, and you click on there, and where you go. So cool. So that's pretty much our news and our hot topic for this week. So I think we'll have to come up with music for our hot topic, man. We've just got to try and liven it up a bit. Well, people were loving the music from last week, mate. Got some good feedback on the music, so... Oh, yeah. God. It was beautiful. Hey, so, uh... Okay, so let's try to age group of the week, and I'll insert some music in. Ready? Three, two, one. Age group of the week! Did you get that? 
bit of delay there. I had to, I had to bail out on you there. Oh. We're not quite in sync. Yeah, with the timing's we'll, a little bit we'll out. We'll be back normal next week. Hey, so I went on the website for the Grand Canyon Triathlon, um, triathlon and uh, a really impressive, a lady called Alicia Parr came in, uh, so it wasn't a full Ironman distance race, but she, I can't, they've got so many numbers in front of me, I don't actually know what if, she did 7 hours 31 overall, now I'm not exactly sure, I think the marathon, the run was about 30k's, the bike was, I can't remember, but anyway, it wasn't quite full Ironman distance, but she came third overall, and that was including the men, so... And, yeah, yeah, it was fantastic, and that was in the age group category. So she was our age group of the week, sensational race. She must have been loving it. Excellent. Yeah, but last week when we when we had age group of the week, we talked about what was her name, uh, Kaya Myers. Oh, Kachi Maya. Yeah. So she was a pro, and and old uh, Joel Lennox from I think he was from America sent me through an email. He was saying how she's actually. Quite an attractive young lady, and he she's got a link. He sent me through a link to her website, and uh, yeah, she is quite an attractive young lady. So catchamaya dot com. com. Now that needs to go on your bookmark, boys and girls. Um, no, she she did some. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, true. Hey, we just don't know nowadays. So um, <laughs> she um no, she's she is a pro athlete. I don't think she's really ever made it to the top level, but. Um, she wasn't. She's renowned, or she was known for a swimsuit issue in Triathlete magazine a few years ago, and yeah, she has some photos from that magazine uh, on her website, and yeah, that's definitely worth a look. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, ready? Thanks, okay. Joel. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, one, two, three, four, high five. So hey. here we go. So the big high five for this week. It's uh, it's coming towards the end of the season, so. Uh, we know some of you guys are still racing, and uh, so we thought we'd give a few tips on if it's a chilly Ironman that you're training for. So um, we, we certainly have that issue when we race uh, Taupo in New Zealand. It's uh, often very, very cool in the morning, and people don't really think about that too much. They know it's going to be a reasonable temperature later in the day. Um, so we thought we'd just give you a few few quick tip, tips. The first one you should uh, plan for is, is really to overdress. If it's going to be cold, um, don't Get to, don't try to be a hero and just go out there in a pair of speedos. Um, plan to overdress, and you can always get rid of the clothing later on. Yeah, so, uh, that, that's a policy important. I have in all training. Actually, I always I'd rather be overdressed than underdressed. It's um. <laughs> we were riding down to down to Queenstown. <laughs> Bevan had his jacket on, <laughs> thermal on. He had about three or four different layers. I had, I had three layers, a, a real good jacket, and then a jacket over top of the jacket. Oh, it was beautiful. It was toasty. <laughs> we ended up having quite good weather because uh, we only got rained on once. So. Yeah, no, it was good. Okay, so tip number two is um, roll your arm warmers up so you can pull... Oh, okay, so basically... So you're going to roll them up so then you can pull them back down? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what you mean, actually, to be honest. Okay, so my, my second tip here is, um, you know, you want to try and save as much time as you can. And uh, and what you can do is if you roll your arm warmers up, if you're going to wear them, you can have them sitting in, in transition and you just pop them over your wrists. And then you can actually, if you've got them nicely rolled, um, you can actually roll them up your arms really easily when you start off on the bike. So they'll just save you a few seconds. If you've just got them, you know, lying out flat as they normally are, you have to sort of pull them over and they'll get stuck on the water, uh, on the sort of moisture on your arms. But if you have them all rolled up into a little ball, uh, or not into a little ball, but roll them inside out, put them over your wrists. When you get going, you'll just be able to roll them up nice and easy. Do you know what? I actually wear my arm warmers underneath my wetsuit. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Because I find that they don't get they get damp, but the the material is quite thin, so it dries out pretty quick, even on a cold day. And uh, okay. uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So there you go. Try try either way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can do tip number three. Tip number three: um, gloves and toe caps, and uh, and probably a little beanie. This is if it's particularly cold. Places where you are going to lose a big amount of heat is through your hands, yep. through your feet, and through your head. And those are typically the areas that are also quite difficult to warm up. So. Wearing little toe caps on your bike will, will help a lot. Wearing gloves will help a lot, and wearing a little beanie will help a lot, and that will just help keep your overall temperature up quite nicely. Yep, definitely. Um, wear a disposable polyprop. So, polyprops are good to keep the warmth in, but you know, if it gets starts to heat up, like for example, my last race I did in Taupo last year, it was really cold in the morning, but then about two hours, three hours into the ride, it actually heated up into a really beautiful day. And uh, so you want to have a top that you can just basically chuck out, you know, chuck off the side of the road and not worry that you're going to lose it. So have a disposable mm-hmm. polypop nearby or, you know, pretty much ready to put on as you jump on the bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tip number five for the high five today is... We're only doing uh, five! Sorry? We're only doing five! <laughs> We're only doing five this week. It is called the high five. Uh, so this week we're going to stick to five. Although Devin will probably overrule and come in with a sixth or seventh <laughs> one here. But uh, the fifth one today is just delay getting into the start a little bit if the water's really cool. Um, you lose a lot of body temperature and a lot of um, warmth when you get in there. So, so rather than doing a really lengthy swim warm-up, if you know it's going to be really ice cold, um, do sort of more of a dry land warm-up and then get in fairly close to the race start so you don't have to sit out there in the cold water. And, uh, and that would be a tip number five. What's number six and seven this week, Devin? Uh, I don't actually have anything else to add to that. Um, wear a swim cap. Wear a, <laughs> nah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That was it. Okay, so next up we're going to do one, two, three. You're going to do website of the week. Ready? One, two, three. Website of the week. Yeah, we had like a reverb happening. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, So one of my good friends, Duncan. Yep, yep. One of my good friends, Duncan, um, has met a lovely lady, and she lives overseas, and she's actually in Christchurch this weekend, and I got to meet her, and she sent me through, her name's Olga, and she sent me through an email of a running website that she knows of, and it's um, it's really quite cool. It's called my uh, mapmyrun.com, and it's um, basically what they've done is they've used Google Maps with like a frapper, for those of you who know what frapper is, and uh, what you can do is you can go on there, and you can... Search your area, and it has all your streets and everything, and then you can create a little, like, like a, I don't know, a map of your runs, and so it records your runs, and it shows you your distances and all that stuff, and it's it's just a really good kind of training aid to see what you're doing, and it was interesting, because Olga said that she thought she was running more than she actually had, and after seeing this, she thought she could maybe up it a little bit more, so... Um, <sighs> Yeah, it's just it's just a really good tool, and it t- obviously tells you all your information about how far you've ran and stuff. And uh, for those of you who don't have the tools like the Polar Running Pod on your shoes, um, and you're unsure of how far you've ran, this is definitely a great tool. Yeah, cool. I like the sound of that. Yeah, that's really quite cool. So it's uh, mapmyrun.com. Website of the week. Website of the week. Okay, so next up we've got. Questions and answers. Questions and answers. Very good. So, first one. I'll, okay. Do you want me to go first? You go for it, Devin. Okay. So, do we have any recommendations as far as lactate testing devices, brands, models, etc.? Uh, this is from TJ. So, to be honest, we did talk in one of the earlier shows about this. Now, can you remember which, which show that was? I can't remember which show it was, but we can uh, have a look through the archives and should be able to find it. There's, um, 
the, the, the model that I use is uh, Lactate Pro. So you can buy them from, I'm not sure where you are from, TJ, um, but you should be able to find that if you do a search on the net, uh, look for Lactate Pro, and that's a little meter. It's, it's only about the size of your palm, and you have to buy uh, little samples, which is what you put your, your little blood sample on, and that goes into the little device. The Lactate Pro is the, the version that they were using that the company makes. The, the company's called AccuSport, and, uh, but I think they've got a new one out, which I haven't actually seen yet, which is called Lactate out so maybe a sort of uh, a new model that's out so either look for lactate pro or lactate scout by AccuSport, um and that that should be good there's probably a number of other brands out there but those are the ones that i've used in the past hey and so what are we looking at regards to price on these um in new zealand dollars i think you can pick them up for around about five hundred dollars new zealand five to six hundred dollars new zealand so that's very roughly sort of about three to four hundred dollars us um, so if you are serious about it and you can maybe get two or three people together, um, it is a worthwhile investment, especially if you haven't got a, a lactate testing facility uh, close by. It's actually really worth doing as well because it, like in New Zealand, you're basically paying anywhere from 80 to $100 per time to get a lactate test done. So you know, if you're going to do that three or four times, if you and your mates go in, you're pretty much going to save your costs. Um, there are some yeah. other aspects you have to pay for every test, don't you? There's some little pads or something, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to you've got to pay for the little strips, and they're, they're not expe- especially expensive, but um, you don't want to be wasting them. So uh, I'd say if you have got somebody who can do the testing for you locally and it's reasonably priced, I'd probably stick with them because they'll help with the interpretation of the data. Um, but if you don't have any testing facilities nearby, then uh, this is a very good uh, alternative. And uh, if you divvy up with a few mates, like Bevan said, it's a good idea. And uh, we've got we've put the lactate testing protocols I use up on the website. Um, if you look through our archives, you should be able to find those. Yeah. That'll link off to my website. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so next up, we had a question from Des Des Atkinson uh, from UK, and he was just uh, first of all, we mentioned a race uh, in the UK called the uh, what is it? Vichurian race, and as I say, one, it's one of the best half Ironman distances races in the UK, and it's pretty much chock a block with the Tri Talkers. So go the Tri Talkers, and uh, yeah, and you got a podium finish here. Yeah, well, he's saying you got a podium finish, so he, obviously that's why he was talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll give you a bit of an age grouper there. <laughs> He also had another anger, uh, another question there. He was, last week I was talking about the running lactate test and I was um, apparently sort of going in and out about talking about cycling and running zones. Uh, and he was asking whether you can estimate your cycling zone based on your run test. Um, and the answer is you, you can you can approximate it, um, but it's not exact. So if you can get a bike and run test done, it's much more beneficial. But for most people their uh, cycling zone is going to be around about, you know, somewhere between 8 and 12 beats different to their, their run zone. As so in lower? If you estimate it, yeah, lower than, than you're running. So if you estimate it around about that, uh, you should be okay. Um, but also if you wear your heart rate monitor during racing, that will help you uh, shore up some of your zones. Um, but to be, to, be, uh, to be absolutely sure, you do need to do a separate test for both the bike and the run. And do those on separate days. Don't do the bike and the run together. Or do the bike one week and then, uh, you know, and maybe in your next easier week do the, do the run test. For an Ironman, is it more important to do one more than the other? Uh, no, I think it's pr- pretty much equally important um, to, do, to do both, really. 
So, uh, no, I'd say probably try and get both done. So you definitely want to buy that machine, don't you? <laughs> Maybe we should start selling them through our website. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I've got some things about that later on. Um, okay, so Gary, Gary Fegan basically asking, he knows that running off the bike after a long ride is, you know, one thing that I men need to get used to doing often. He was wondering, is there any justification in doing a long run off a long bike? Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think, you know, my, my policy is uh, that you should run off every long bike. Uh, so, you know, probably absolute minimum would be 10 minutes, um, preferably somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes. Uh, and definitely I think doing a long run off, uh, not, probably not a really long run off, off the bike is good, um, but doing that more as a brick session. So probably not riding seven or eight hours and then running two. I think that would probably be, uh, you know, unless you're doing some really big psycho training, it probably wouldn't work. Uh, but definitely doing, you know, uh, a five-hour ride, something like that, and then running for sort of about 75 minutes off the bike, I think that's uh, uh, is, is good. And, and as I've said on a number of occasions, um, I get the athletes that I work with do relatively regular half Ironman simulations if they're training for an Ironman. So that's, you know, you look for that, you're looking at a bike ride of around about three, um, probably possibly up to four hours, and then running, you know, um, an hour to an hour 45 off the bike. So... So yes, I definitely think you want to get used to running off the bike. He also, every long ride, I think you should run. He also had, um, you know, what is the optimal brick? He's saying, like, is the long bike, long run, long bike, short run, short run, short bike, long run. Like, it's a bit of a combination of all, really, isn't it? It's not doing the long bike, long run. It's basically yeah, what, I, yeah. I, think, I, I don't think you should be doing, a, a, a like I said, a seven to eight hour bike and then a, a two hour run. I think that's probably a little bit too strenuous. Um, but yeah, short run off every long bike and then, then mixing it around a bit. Uh, I do also like getting guys to do, uh, sometimes do a bike run, a bike run bike. Um, so maybe doing an hour to an hour and a half on the bike and then going into your long run and then doing a little bit of a bike afterwards. Um, I often get people to do a bit of a bike after their long runs because it helps the recovery. Um, and then if you have a bit of a bike before, you do get a bit of a transition effect. So, so those are a few little alternatives you can look at. Mm, mm, but I think um, you also want to spice it up but you know you don't want to do the same thing every week um, so, so do chop and change a little bit yeah definitely um, and this way sometimes cycle racing doing a long cycle race as well and actually just jumping off often after I've done a like we're, I'm going to do a 140k cycle race this weekend and I'll jump off the bike for 20 minutes after that 20-30 minutes just to turn the legs over um, definitely exactly yeah um, okay so okay you said this name last so well last time it's the Brazilian guy how do you say that? Fausto. Fausto. Oh, you're a legend, mate. You really are. Um, okay, so he's basically saying he's, he's as part of his preparation for Ironman next year, he's going to do a marathon on the 22nd of October, and then five weeks later he's going to do a half Ironman. Now, he's just basically wondering, once he's done that, what kind of recovery should he be looking at, and how soon after he's done the half Ironman? Oh, wait a second, but my question is regarding the after first days after the marathon, how soon should he start training again? Um, he, he, I, I think... Pretty yeah. quickly, um, but I think you've got to be really careful with the running side of things. Um, I think active, doing active training uh, and very, very easy training will actually speed up your recovery rather than just sitting around doing absolutely nothing. But if you, if you do go out there and train hard after a race, you're really going to um, stuff up your recovery. So if you do the marathon, I think you know, the next day you could quite easily be uh, just having an easy spin on the bike. Uh, when I say easy, I'm, I'm talking you know, between 30 and 60 minutes. And, and or possibly an easy swim. And I think you need to sort of follow that through for, for three to four days 
just doing very, very low intensity, but just um, just getting the legs ticking over, getting the arms ticking over, just try to get a bit of the lactate out of the legs and just loosen up and get some of the fatigue and muscular soreness out of your legs. Um, so I don't think you should be waiting three days. I think that will prolong the recovery period. I think you should be getting more or less uh, straight into it. And one thing I have said is uh, on a number of occasions, if you are doing races just as sort of B or C races or just training events, you can do a warm down straight after the race um, for anywhere between 10 and 30 minutes or possibly even longer. That will really, really speed up your recovery. So if you're doing a marathon, um, you know, if you could finish the marathon and maybe bike home if you don't live too far away, that will really help your recovery quite significantly. Oh, that's good. He also mentioned that young guy, um, Colucci, and he was just talking about how, he was the guy who mentioned a few episodes ago, and he was just saying how when this guy was 18, he did an 840 in Brazil. So, wow. Pretty solid. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty decent at 18. Wow. We'd, so, both, we'd both like to go about 840. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell me about it. So, uh, so cool. <laughs> Um, next up, we had John Powell from Power from Ireland. Ah, oh, we love the Irish, and uh, that was my Irish, <laughs> Irish <laughs> impersonation. Um, <coughs> what's he saying here? He's been doing triathlon for five years, and he's done three marathons. He's a three-hour marathoner, so it's pretty decent. Um, he does it at the end of his season. He did one Ironman in Austria. What's his question? Uh, He's doing. Uh, I signed up for Austria again, and it's on uh, the start of July. And he's also considering doing the okay. marathon in the start of February. So does he have enough time to recover? That's enough time to recover. That's masses of time to recover. You know, you're looking at um, March, April, May, June. Uh, so you've got at least you know four and a half months to recover. So so plenty of time, and it would probably work in quite well. You know, to be focusing on your um, one of your disciplines over winter. You know, I know the Irish winter is probably not going to be that. <laughs> Uh, flash, so you know, having a bit of a run block lead, leading up to the Seville Marathon would probably be quite good for you. And then, um, then probably really crack, trying to crack into your cycling it once you've got that out of the way, and you you'll have that good run base under your um, under your belt. But yeah, when you've got you know uh, four and a half months, you know, fifteen to twenty weeks under your belt, so you're going to have plenty of recovery time there. So, so that wouldn't be a problem. And one thing on that weather thing, at least this is just a personal thing, but I always find um, I'd much rather be running in cold weather than cycling for a long time in cold weather. You know, if you do, oh. you've got, if you've got terrible weather, six-hour bike ride's painful, whereas I can run for two to three hours and seem to be able to handle it a lot better. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Running's a good thing to be doing in winter. Um, we had Ben from Australia, and he's, he's kind of never done an Ironman race, but he's... Give us an Aussie accent, mate. Give us an Aussie accent. Put it, put it, shrimp on the Barbie, mate. I'm not too good at the Aussie one. Sorry, shrimp on the Barbie, mate. Six. They go six. <laughs> they probably give us his words a better accent. Um, I'm just dying here. Wait a second. <coughs> Excuse me. Ben from Australia. Oh, I hammered you too. I hammered you too hard. Oh, I tell you, mate. Oh, you hammered me. Um... <laughs> he often hears about the term that oh, he's new to the sport and he was looking at doing Ironman next year hopefully somewhere uh, which is kind of cool and he often hears us talking about Ironman pace and he just doesn't really know what that means so he's just really asking what is Ironman pace it's really um, you know, for most people Ironman pace it basically relates to your steady zone your aerobic threshold uh, so an easy thing to do if, if you have got access to lactate testing is go and get that done and an Ironman pace is basically your steady zone if you look at some of the literature I've got on my website and we've got some links off to that, you can see what my steady zone is um, and you can also see explanations on some some uh, indicators on what steady means. 
But basically, for, for a first-time Ironman athlete, you probably want to be sticking at the bottom of your steady zone. Um, so if you have any lactate testing done, that's where you want to be sitting. For more experienced athletes uh, and who have been doing the sport for a while, and they can risk sitting in your upper steady zone. Um, but really, for your first one, uh, you really want to just be going out there and making it a comfortable day, all day, and just sitting back, and, and you shouldn't really be puffing and panting very much. That's an indication that you're, you're out of your steady zone and probably into moderately hard. Uh, so, so really try and get a feel through possibly lactate testing and using a heart rate monitor on what your steady zone is and, and just try to stick to that all day. Um, that would be my advice there, Ben. Nice. We had uh, Rob from the UK and he went over and did Ironman Canada and he was just talking about the number of people doing the races. He said uh, basically in the swim, he said it was like that Cliff Bar commercial that we had on the website. Uh, he said it was like that basically for 2Ks and it wasn't until the 2K mark we actually started to get a bit of a gap without getting hit. So it's obviously, you know, he sent me through a photo as well which I'll actually put up on the website to show you the swim start with the amount of people just in line. It was just unbelievable with the amount of people. So he was having the question, he was saying, and we kind of touched on this earlier, he was saying with all the problems getting entries into these events and selling out so quickly, and with the dangers of too many start people starting at once, should we be looking at doing five to 10 minute intervals of 500 people starting at once, projecting based on their projected finish times? Um, yeah, and he's saying he's sure. Yeah, well, that's an option they could use. I mean, they could also have, you know, um, at some races now they have a separate pro start, you know, in Hawaii and, uh, and other races. So you could have a pro start, you could have a men's start, and you could have a women's start. I mean, that would break it up a little bit. Yeah, um, but... Or otherwise you could do it by our age group. And, uh, and yeah, you're going to... Some people will get up a bit upset about that, but, um, yeah, the races are growing. And one of the points he's made here is yeah. 2,400 this year, and, and it says that Ironman Canada are considering 3,500 people for 2007. Um, and I don't think they'd have any problems getting that many people, but I think, you know, the, the, he, he said they had issues with drafting this year, and if you put another 1,000 people on the course, then um, I'm sure that's going to create even more stress and, and pressure on the draft busters and on people to try and stay out of the draft zone. So um, it's a tricky one. Yeah, it is, it is tricky, especially if you're going to get 3,500 people in a race. Like, you know, the dangers then, like, there's a few dangers they need to really look out for in a swim. Um, <coughs> excuse me. If you have that many people in the water, you know, you, you know trying to monitor that many people with the kayakers is going to be pretty hard work. Um, so that's one thing they need to be aware of as well. And, yeah, the, I, I think if you're going to go that number, you almost have to look at doing those options. Which, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and to me... You have to do an age group categories because if you, there aren't yeah. that many pros in the race, really, are there? There's only 30 pros, and so yeah, so yeah, it's interesting. He also he did pretty well in his race. He came in at what did he come in at? Uh, 11 hours 40, came fourth in the 40 plus Clydesdale, which he's saying the old fat guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> well done, Rob. <laughs> he was wondering if I could call him age group of the week, so I'll give you a plug for age group of the week, kind of right there. There you go. Um, we had another one from from Guy, we had one from Guy, and he's just basically asking questions regarding tyres. Um, so my question is about the requirement to have tyres glued for the road bike. I come from a mountain bike background and have not come across this before. Can you explain? It's, um, yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's two options. You can have uh, glued tubulars in, in different parts of the world. People call them different uh, tubs or tubulars or 
um, whatever they call <laughs> different places call them different things, but mm. it basically means it's an all-in-one. Uh, you've got your tyre, which is wrapped around a tube on the inside, and it's glued onto your tyre. So um, there's pros and cons, and if you go into a, a bike shop, they'll probably tell you 10 different reasons um, why you should have uh, tubulars, and if you go somewhere else, they'll tell you 10 different <coughs> reasons why you should have tubulars. So it really comes down to the personal choice. I prefer to ride on tubulars, um, and I've just always found them to be a little bit faster, but uh, that's where I come from. Um, what do you ride on, Bevan? Yeah, I ride on tubulars as well. One thing, guys, is that it's not actually required to have the glue tyres. It's an option. He seems to think that they're required. Yeah, I prefer tubulars, but it's only because I've never actually used... Um, and I use clinches, but I've never used the, the fully round ones. So apparently, I, th if, I think... One of the benefits of the round ones is if you get a flat tyre, you can quickly change it because you're just basically going to chuck the tyre on and pump the air in quickly. So there is that advantage of it. But I just never use them, so yeah. I don't really know. Um, I yeah. think if you are going to use them in a race, yeah, you've got to make sure you basically yeah. you, you've practiced on them a lot and practice changing them a lot because the glue is really important from what I can tell. Yeah. You do have to have d different sets of rims. You can't just go glue a tyre onto a standard set of rims. You either have uh, a... a standard clincher rim, which is what most people train on, and then you have a separate set of rims, which are for tubulars. So if in doubt, go and ask your bike shop, and they should be able to explain that pretty pretty easily. Um, and you know, like I said, they'll probably give you some reasons. Um, it depends on what school they come from, whether they think tubulars are great or whether they think they're a bit old-fashioned. But um, I, I still ride, ride on tubulars, and, and it seems that most pros still ride on tubulars, and even, even included. Yeah, I think the other thing as well is that... Um they're a lot cheaper, <laughs> which is mm. good. I like that. So, because <laughs> the whole world's ruined if you get a flat tire, basically, in the other ones, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah. How many um, flat tires did you get on the way to Bainstown, Bevan? Oh, I got a few. <laughs> I got. I couldn't believe it. I got three flat tires. So I'm running along. I got one the first day, which that's okay. And the second day, I got one early on, and uh, I think we were kind of happy about that because it was killing us, and it was kind of a nice time to have a break. And then. I thought my tyre had actually worn, but it turned out when I went to the bike shop, they said there was actually a gash. I got a hole in my wheel, in my tyre, I should say, and so uh, of about a centimetre. And so what I had to do is I had to put a tube underneath that. I glued a tube underneath the wheel, um, under the tyre, sorry, and then had to put the other bloody tube underneath that. And that worked for a few hours, and then I got another flat tyre, and uh, I was... And then I ditched him. And then he ditched me. He goes, I was going to get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to just save my save some grace here. Basically, what happened is Bevan got about his third or fourth punch of the day, and uh, and I thought I thought we were about just a couple of kilometres away from a shop, and yeah. um, and I was going to stand there waiting. And Bevan said, "Oh no, you go on. You get some stuff from the shop." Yeah. So I carried on, and the shop didn't turn up, and I just kept going and going and going, and I'd probably gone a good seven or eight kilometres into an absolute howling headwind. And uh, and I got there and I got my drink and I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting. <laughs> and Devon didn't turn up and I thought, there's no way I've got another 15 k's in my legs to go back to Devon and back out. So I got on the phone, rang up my wife and she came out and she took some tyres out to Devon. So, so yeah, I didn't no. just leave them out there by myself. I wasn't angry. I, I didn't care. I knew you'd be doing that. That's okay. We were only 30 k's <laughs> from home, so it wasn't that bad. If it was like 100 k's, I would have been an angry man, but it's a different story. Um, okay, so uh, we've got another email from Gary, and he was just saying how um, Ironman UK is threatening to move. Um, which is, did you read the article? No, I didn't actually, but it's uh, it's, it's moved, especially the um, the half Ironman UK, which is now turned to seventy point three. It's, it's moved all over the show over the last few years, and Ironman looks like it you know, potentially could be doing the same. And, and Gary's point is um, 
you know, it, it, that it's very, you know, you go back to Ironman each year and you obviously you want to try and improve your time. Yeah. When I go and change the course, you really can't <laughs> can't compare your time at all. So it gets a bit frustrated for the, um, you know, the more experienced athletes who are looking to just go out there and beat it each time. So he's sort of wondering whether, you know, they should be allowed to do this all the time and it's really frustrating for the athletes. So, but the um, interesting thing is... You, the interesting thing with this one is that um, it's actually, it wasn't the organisers kind of initiative, it's more that the Shorebourne um, Council, or the district council where the races ran, is having issues about it because the race actually lost £80,000 this year and so the, you know, who's kind of footing the bill for that and um, so it's, yeah, it's not necessarily the Ironman organisers, it's more the council that, and we talked about Taupo a few weeks ago pulling out of um, the half Ironman in Taupo, which is New Zealand kind of a popular race, and they've actually had to stop that race because the council wouldn't really work with the organizer, and this seems to be happening in this case here, so, yeah, mm. Mm, it is interesting. I can't understand how an Ironman race can lose money when they, you know, Ironman UK, I'm sure they had a good number of entries, and yeah. each person paying, you know, six, seven hundred bucks, so I just, I just can't fathom how they can actually manage to lose money. Well, but I guess it looks like they may have done. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Although I'm sure they're making some profit. It's just how you do the books, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. how you do the books. Uh, we've got a question here, but we'll leave that one to next week because it's for the nutritionist. Um, blah, blah, blah. That was from Glenn, so Glenn will cover that one next week. Um, sorry about that, guys. We just kind of uh, brief summary. Yeah, no, again, that, about the event running through from there. Any other ones you can see? Um, boys, we got one from uh, Andrew Kerr, another another Tri Talk listener. They love us in Tri Talk. Uh, what they're doing in Tri Talk, which I find quite funny, is that they're having a competition to see who can get their name on the show, and they've got a list of the people who's got their names on the show. So, <laughs> go to the Tri Talkers. Uh, Andrew's got his name on there. Andrew's from the Orkney Islands, and uh, which I've never been to. But it's in the north of Scotland, so it's fair to say that uh, it's probably not the uh, warmest place in the world to do a race. No. Um, <laughs> mate, this is the height of, of audio shows, mate. Listen to this. We just stop every two seconds. And, it's oh, yeah. so organised. Oh, yeah. I'm going to edit all this. Read out. Go on. North Scotland to complete their first middle distance race. So they've had a half Ironman race up in the... Hawking the Islands, they had a massive 13 individual entries. Lonely day at the office. Um, and if you want to check out the the results, it's uh, www.orkneytriathlon.co.uk. And it's, uh, it sounds like a fantastic race. I mean, if you got a, you go home, you can say, oh, I got 13th in a race. And people might think you're an absolute hero. But uh, great, great stuff. North, uh, tricky place to have a race. But uh, well done on Andrew on getting up there. And you got your name mentioned on the show. Yep, and he'd so. also like to highlight a race happening in Fort William in Scotland on the 23rd of the month. Again, it's a half Ironman um, with a, a distinct twist. It's got a 1,900 metres steep swim, in which in Scotland is never warm. Uh, it should be around 13 degrees. Oh. I'd be interested to hear how people find that because that's what it's going to be like for this race down here in Queenstown. Yep. And then it's got a 56k mountain bike uh, underneath Ben Nevis, which is the uh, highest highest mountain in Scotland. I think it's the highest mountain in the whole of UK, I think. Um, but when they say mountains in the UK, they're not actually that big because I've seen a few of them. <laughs> um, but it's called the Big Triathlon, uh, bigtriathlon.co.uk. Won't be fast times, but brings out some of Scotland's adventures together for some fun. Um, so 
So it sounds like there's a few good races up in Scotland, which is fantastic. And the cool thing about Andrew yeah. is he's coming to New Zealand to do Ironman New Zealand next year. Yeah, so we'll have to brush up on our Scottish accent. Oh, yeah, so how, how does Scottish sound? Freedom! <laughs> Sensational. Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> you, you thought that was the movie then, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much all the questions for this week. Um, so uh, another highly professional show. Well, it's been a bit Mickey Mouse this week, but that's okay because John's back next week, and next week's very exciting because next week I was actually saw Em today, and we had a bit of a yarn. Now Em, um, we've talked her up a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to recap on this. Em is New Zealand's pretty much at the moment New Zealand's top female multi-sport racer. Um, she's also races internationally at a high level. She's also one of the top nutritionists in New Zealand, uh, sports nutrition. She's just been to Australia to do a talk on nutrition. Um, you know, she's an athlete, she knows what we guys are doing. And so what we're going to do next week is we're going to have her in and we really want to get a lot of questions from you guys based on things that, not suppose specifically to your race, but things you want to know about in regards to what Ironman athletes should be doing with their nutrition. So... Uh, specifically, uh, what we're going to try and focus on specifically is race day nutrition. So race day. Probably not, um, we'll try and get her back maybe some say she'll do some general nutrition tips, but what we really want to focus on is race day nutrition, so if you've got any specific questions on that. Yep, so she's going to be in here next week, um, which is really cool, so send through those questions, and the email is ironmantalk at gmail.com. Um, also, I'm actually going to put some ads back up on the website this week, so I'm going to try to do it discreetly. I know last time we had ads on the website, they were bloody all over the place, and there was, there was more ads than content, but I'm just going to put one ad up in there, but make sure you click on those ads, because <laughs> when we took the ads off, we lost our income, so we got, we're, we're, yeah, so we need to get some just to pay for the show, so um, click on the ads, and we've also got some ads on the uh, blog, so you don't have to go, just click on the ad and then delete the bloody website. We're not meant to say that, but, you know, they don't hear the podcast, so. So um, the other thing is as well is we're going to start an Amazon page. So on the website we'll have a store page and uh, I've created an Amazon store which basically has triathlon gear. Now we don't, we don't expect you to go jump on there and spend all your money on there but if you are going to buy anything on Amazon, go through there because we, they give us like a commission on the sale, it's bugger all but still every cent counts so that'd be cool if you could do that. Um, all our show notes for this week will be up on the website www.ironmantalk.com. Um, John's site? Triathloncoach.net. Which is uh, where you go for John's coaching kind of things. And if you want to look into his uh, coaching you, you can go there to do that. Um, anything else that we need to kind of fill him in? No. Well, what are you up to for the rest of the week? Well, I'm having a quiet week this week. I've actually had this day, today off training. I was a little bit fatigued because I had to pretty much come back and teach at the gym over the last few days. So, um a little bit fatigued, so I've had today off. I've been a bit bored, to be honest. I've had so much spare time. I've been mucking around all day. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty much I'm going to do a big cycle race this weekend. And that's a bit of me for, for me this week. What are you up to? You're holidaying? Holidaying. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I had a day skiing yesterday. And uh, been out and checked out the run course for the, Cal- uh, the Queenstown Challenge race just before. I ran a lap with my wife, uh, about 13 and a half k. So you're going to do the ride? Run. Um, I'm going to do the ride tomorrow, hopefully, weather permitting. And uh, what, I, what I think I'll do with the riding, when I actually get back up to Christchurch, just so people out of interest, uh, I, you know, I wear a polar and I um, recorded all our trip down to Queenstown. And I'll actually, we'll put that up on the website, uh, hopefully next week, so people can sort of see um, what sort of uh, a ride we had down to Queenstown. I think on the first day we averaged uh, 
you know, 150k in the ride, we were averaging about 33k an hour, and then by the end of the ride, we dropped down to 29.1, I think. We got hammered uh, by the winds. <laughs> absolutely drilled. The last couple of hours, we were hardly even moving. Yeah. And um, especially if you Kiwis, I'm sure you'll be interested to see the sort of terrain we go over. And uh, and then I'll actually wear it for the, the bike uh, the bike when I go out and ride the course, uh, hopefully tomorrow. So the people that are looking at doing the Cal Challenge uh, down here can look at that. Uh, interestingly, I, I went and uh, had a chat to the people where we're staying for Epic Camp when we come down here, and they said they're all booked out for that week for the for the triathlon. So oh, okay. it sounds like they are getting a few entries for that. Um, but it's going to be a fantastic race. You know, the scenery we've been looking at down here looks great. Uh, the, the run will be quite lonely. Uh, it's on a it basically runs alongside the lake. Um, absolutely spectacular course. But it's going to be a little bit lonely because uh, there's probably not a huge amount of spectators that can get down there. But it's going to be a great day, and um, I look forward to talking a bit more about that when I get back. Mm, okay, well, you have a, a safe week in Queenstown. and uh, Are you actually going to do the ride? Are you going to practice the ride while you're there? Yeah, I'll be doing that tomorrow. Oh, okay. Um, that's kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, have a good time. So uh, that's pretty much the show for this week, guys. Um, so send through those questions for Emily for next week. And uh, John will be back in the studio, so we'll sound nice and crisp and clear and have a bit more kind of kind of rapport happening. We're making it happen probably a bit kind of all over the place today. Um, and uh, other than that, you guys train well, and we'll get out and see you next week. Yeah, bye. See you. Okay. Bye, yeah. Sweet. Done, Dustin. Done and dusted. Hopefully you hit that record button.